Welcome to the Winners Find a Way show and podcast with your host, Trent M. Clark, three-time World Series coach, CEO of Leadershipity, serial entrepreneur, having started 12 companies, coach to the 1%, and an international speaker. This show is going to be your go-to podcast for facing adversity, being inspired, and overcoming obstacles, all from the best in the world, business, sports, and leadership. Hate the crappy ingredients in many beverages and energy drinks? Rebellious Infusions are the go-to functional beverage. They have five or fewer plant-based organic ingredients. No sugar, no calories, loaded with antioxidants to boost your immune system. And L-thionine for brain health. Rebellious Infusions are available at drinkrebellious.com. Rethink your drink. For 10% off of your next purchase, use the code 99999. Hello, it's Trent Clark, your host. Welcome to the Winners Find a Way show. I'm super excited to have my good buddy, Dr. Danny Brassell. How are you, Dr. Danny? Fantastic. How are you doing, Trent? Oh, man, I, I couldn't be better. I mean, just <laughs> hanging out, Dr. Danny, talking some shop. Like, I mean, literally, I love these conversations. You know, like people do podcasts, but like, man, I walk away with seven nuggets every time trying to help my business and everything else. So it is fabulous to spend some time. I mean, a, a man of your education, you have just seen some things and it is, uh, it's, a, it's a, some crazy experiences. So I'm, I'm dying to get into that today. And let's talk a first thing, Dr. Danny, tell me where they can find you. Well, if you just go to dannybrassell.com, my last name is really easy to remember how to spell. It's spelled like bras cell. No, I never took any grief <laughs> over that as a child. It'll yeah. Yeah. <laughs> different things <laughs> that, was a, that was an easy elementary last name right there you know? yeah i dealt with the clark bar and yeah. then i also dealt with the clark trent oh superman i'm like you know that is clark kent right and they were like i had teachers call me clark the whole first semester of like school for uh -huh. years you know you're literally one of america's leading reading ambassadors which man i i really have a passion for this and i gotta tell you dr danny like didn't love it at all when i was a kid man it was not I, my good i was right there with you trent my father was a librarian and i grew up hating reading my i always hated the public library it always smelled funny to me the furniture was always uncomfortable there was always some elderly woman telling me to be quiet. There's always a freaky homeless guy who thinks he's a vampire hanging out at the library. <laughs> and it wasn't until I actually started teaching in the inner city in South Central Los Angeles where I saw a lot of my students didn't have the advantages I had growing up. And I said, shame on me. I mean, I was blessed. Both of my parents were in the home. We weren't wealthy by any means, but we always had food on the table. And my parents always read in front of us kids. They read to us kids. And we always had plenty of access to wonderful reading materials. And now that I go all over the world working with leaders in various fields, I always encourage reading as one of the most relaxing and important things that any effective leader can do. Yeah, that is, it's so important. And I hadn't really thought about how much I value it now. And if you'd have told me when I was 12, 13 years old, running the streets until the streetlights came on, I mean, basketball, football, hockey, baseball, tennis, you name it. I was out there like, stop and read a book. Like, what are you talking about? Like, like, I mean, I would have rather had like, you know, be grounded for two weeks than that. You know, like, I mean, it was so funny how now in this life, I am a absolute hyper learner. I am all about reading, learning. And, and of course, I get the privilege and the blessing of being online with these brilliant minds like yours. And it's just incredible getting an opportunity to spend time. So super excited about today. Cool. 
All right. I mean, American University, sociology journalist. Then you go out to Cal State for a master's. Then you get doctorate in education from USC. Go Trojans. Pretty <laughs> awesome. And so you kind of, now you grew up on the east side? I grew up all over the place. My father kept on changing jobs. I basically say we were in the witness protection program. I was born in New York. Then I lived in San Diego. Then we lived in a small town in Iowa. And then we lived in a big town in Iowa. And then we moved to Colorado. And my parents decided they didn't want my brother and sister to turn out like me. So they stayed in Colorado. And I went to my undergrad in Washington, D.C., studied in Spain, went to teach in Houston, Texas. I thought I was going to live the rest of my life in Los Angeles. But then my wife decided about five years ago to move us out to Colorado. So I'm pretty open to any new experience. <laughs> Yeah. Like, hey, I want to ask you about something like that because, man, I meet a lot of people who are like, hey, I grew up here and I'm going to stay and live here my entire life. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's cool. Like, that's awesome. Like, this is where my family's at. But you have gone through, I mean, that is like a plethora of different cultures. And I mean, I don't think Europeans always understand like, hey, they get that Czechoslovakia is very different from Spain, different from Italy, different from England. But you know, the United States isn't much different, right? Like we have very different demographics and dialects from wherever you're at and culturally things going on. I mean, New Orleans is one of those great cultures that you go into. It's so different than everything else. And, and, and by the way, in the same turn, and I don't think people think of this as great, but Iowa is a fabulous culture. Like this is about family and values and hard work and education is important, but work comes almost well, God comes first and then it's maybe work, you know, like it's a very different and, you know, the Bible belt of America. What Walk me through a little bit some of those real lessons you got on your journey through these cultures. Well, I love that, Trent. I mean, I, if I were president, I'd give everybody 10 grand to travel the country because I've been to the most conservative, the most liberal parts of America. And I always tell people, you know, America is not Fox News or MSNBC. Most Americans, they want five things. They want, uh, they want a job. They want good schools for their kids. You know, they want to be able to retire. They want the country safe and they want the potholes fixed. And the rest of this stuff <laughs> is a bunch of noise. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, man. You know, when you really break it down, right? That's, that's it. Like, I don't want to break an axle on a pothole. I am so proud to be an American. I'm never prouder to be an American than during the opening ceremonies of the Olympic Games. If you watch the different countries come into the stadium, Japan walks in, they all look Japanese. You got Norway comes in, they all are blonde hair, blue eyes. Then you got America, bunch of mutts, man. You could give me the biggest redneck going, USA, we're number one. We just won the gold medal. Yamaguchi. And I'm like, that's what I, I mean. I love, love that it. about America. When I lived in Los Angeles, I say you can go around the world in 80 minutes. And I think that's awesome. When is somebody going to figure out the strength of our country is our diversity? I mean, it, it just breaks my heart, all this division lately. I'm like, hey, we're all on the same side. We got to remember that. Uh, yeah. Uh, that was the one thing out of 9-11 I loved is for about three weeks, Nobody flipped me off on the freeway. We were all Americans. And then people yeah. be rude to one another again. But gosh, folks, we need to learn how to be able to disagree without being disagreeable with one another. And that's what great leaders do. You and I know this. I like to, and both of us are serial entrepreneurs. It's essential to surround yourself with people with different points of view to get you thinking in different ways. And yeah. you know, I know you're a believer in that. Yeah, it's so important. And, and you know, and I think when, unfortunately, also, you know, in educating Americans, as you're saying, let's read, let's talk about the history, let's talk about where people came from, because diversity is all about different things. And I think when our country goes, oh, it's diversity, that means the color of our skin, like, 
wait a minute, like that's cultures you grew up, that's education levels, that's what monetary experiences you've had, like, or lack of, like there, there are all sorts of experiences we get from this. And I was kicked off a DEI panel <laughs> one time, and, you know, because I was a white middle-aged man, you know, and I was like, hey, you know, I did win a world championship with like 25 men from like 13 different countries speaking eight different languages, you know, and having everything in between with one common goal. Right. And like, Hey, whatever your stuff is from the background, like bring it in, but let's stay focused on what's important for us as a team. And I think we need that leadership back to get us focused on, you know, whatever those big five things are in America, if those are it, like, we do need to get focused on what's important and, and the rest of it's kind of, you know, just noise. And I'd love to see that, but let's, let's dive into one thing. <laughs> one thing that most people don't know about you, Dr. Danny, is that in your journalist days, you were working for the first President Bush back in the day, pretty young guy at that point. And you're like on the presidential circuit with, you know, the man, like, I mean, how old were you and what was going through your mind? Like, I am covering the president of the United States right now. Yeah, I was about 20 years old. I was pretty, you know, we were talking beforehand. I, I wanted, I had become a journalist because I wanted to be the next Charles Kuralt and do all these great special interest stories about cool, quirky people in America. Kind of like the job Steve Hartman has for CBS Sunday Morning. He has like the dream job about the autistic kid that hits seven three-pointers in the last four minutes of game. I love things like that. And instead, they put me on the political beat. I'm like, oh. And, but it was great. I actually enjoyed it. And it was funny because I had my pick of any job. And an editor of a major newspaper, she offered me the city beat for $16,500 a year. Meanwhile, a friend told me, oh, they're hiring inner city teachers in South Central Los Angeles for $25,000 a year. So I became a teacher for the noblest of reasons, Trent, for the high pay. Yeah. Well, I, I just appreciate that. I appreciate both those kind of tales as a young guy, because I do think like people influence us right in the media. And I think there's not if, if anyone's ever sat and watched somebody and admired somebody who was a kid and a ball player. I really admired Ernie Harwell and then got the chance to meet him. Like that was a really cool experience when I tell me he's as cool in person as he oh was. Oh my gosh. Like, yeah, nicest guy ever. Yeah, like, sure. yeah, you appreciate that voice and, my story with him was I my first year with the with the Detroit Tigers. I signed late in '93, and so I didn't really meet Ernie. We went to off season, and then the first day of spring training, we're just getting ready, set up, and pitchers and catchers are about to report. And you know, this is before cell phones, man. This is 1994. I work for Sparky Anderson, right? Mm -hmm. like, and I'm sitting at our breakfast table in Lakeland, Florida, at our cafeteria, and I hear this voice behind me. Hey, fella, you think I could have some breakfast with you? And I'm like, I know that voice. Oh, sure, Mr. Harwell. You know? And I was like, oh, man, this is so cool. I'm sitting there just probably permagrin my whole breakfast. I go through my whole day out in the ballpark. You know, we run around, set things up, workouts, blah, blah, blah. And it's like six o'clock at night. And, you know, one of, the, one of those big moments for me and my dad were sitting at night, you know, on a summer evening. When I'd come in at nine o'clock, 10 o'clock when the street's light and listen to the last two or three innings, the call from Ernie Harwell, because, you know, when I was a kid, wasn't on TV every day. Yeah. So I was like, dad, dad, I had breakfast with Ernie Harwell. <laughs> it was like, it was like my thing, man. It was awesome. And isn't that great? It's a great leadership lesson you just gave everybody is be that person. You know, I always tell people one of the best experiences of my life was I'm a huge USC Trojan fan and I was in Heritage Hall one day 
and the football coach at the time was Pete Carroll, who wound up winning national championships and he won a Super Bowl with the Seattle Seahawks. And I said hi to him and he totally blew me off. And I always tell people that was the best experience of my life. And I'll tell you why, Trent. It taught me every encounter matters. That encounter meant nothing to him. It meant the world to me. The guy could be Mother Teresa. To me, he'll always be a jerk. He didn't know that I would become a speaker and tell that story to over 100,000 people. <laughs> and so it shows you, like, it always, it's those little things. And so yeah. I love that Ernie was that way with you. I've met, I'm a huge Dodger fan. I've met Ben Scully, and he's, yeah. it's so like, there's like a halo above that guy. I mean, yeah. again, you get these. Yeah, you and I are from the same time period when my kids don't understand that at 11.59 at night, they used to play the national anthem and we lost television for six hours. <laughs> and the lights come up, right? Like the oh, yeah. And I mean, I, I don't think Tiger Stadium was as much like Dodger Stadium, but Vin Scully was so popular, people just held their radios next to their ears and you could hear it throughout the stadium yeah. because people wanted to hear Vin. He just had some of the greatest, uh, you know, one of my favorite things was a lot of people don't know Vin Scully, his, uh, his brother was blind. And so the reason he was so good at describing scenes is because his brother would give him feedback after the game. And I, I always remember that, oh gosh, he was the, Pedro Martinez, his, his brother Ramon Martinez, if you ever watched him pitch, he always stood up very straight. And the way Vin would describe it is, there goes Martinez in the windup, six o'clock. And I'm like, oh, it's such a great visual. And there's something lost that we don't have those announcers anymore that just totally paint a picture for us. It's just wonderful stuff. So I love that. I'm so happy Ernie was as great as I hoped he would be. <laughs> yeah, no, totally great. I mean, just amazing. And I think the other guy that really stuck out for me when I was a kid was, and now the rest of the story. Oh, Paul Harvey. Yeah. I mean, Paul Harvey, he was so good. Like, and that had nothing to do with sports, right? And now it's so great. I pull his stuff up on YouTube to get me some daily motivation sometimes. Like he says some things and like, I'll be working out and throw me a five minute Paul Harvey dissertation on there. And I'll be like, dang, this guy's locked in, man. Like this guy's locked in in 1963, you know, like it's, it's so good. And I think that if kids are listening, there's somebody out there they want to emulate, right? Yeah. Well, the uh, Paul Harvey, I was just like you. I used to wait till 12.15 every day. He'd come on the radio. He's like, I'm Paul Harvey with the rest of the story. He passed away a couple of years ago at the age of 325 years old. <laughs> and when I was a middle school teacher, I was the only I was the only teacher in the school that had no tardy students because I always started off class with a Paul Harvey story, which are perfect five-minute read-alouds where you know he would describe something or something, and the whole time you're trying to figure out who it was – and actually, the, the last book I wrote, The Leadership Begins with Motivation book, is an homage to Paul Harvey because my kids love the Paul Harvey stories, but a lot of the people he's talking about are like Sears Roebuck. Well, kids today don't know who Sears Roebuck are. And so my book has stories of like Michael Jordan and Jeff Bezos and Sarah Blakely, people like that. But I was actually just out of school about a month ago in New York City. You'll like this one because a lot of people, this is from Paul Harvey. A lot of people don't know that New York City, before it was called New York City, it was called New Amsterdam because the Dutch settled there first. Well, back in 1664, the British were trying to take over the entire eastern seafront. And so they invaded New Amsterdam and the Dutch surrendered without firing a shot. And so the British started making fun of the Dutch and pretty soon everything negative in society became Dutch. 
And some of those expressions have lasted over 350 years in the English language. So for example, when you go Dutch on a date, it means you're both paying. I'll be a Dutch man's uncle is not a nice thing to say to a person. A Dutch wife meant she was a prostitute. Dutch courage meant you were drunk. But there's one thing the British used to say to the Dutch, which infuriated them. You know how every ethnic group has a type of food we like to associate with that ethnic group? Well, the Dutch really like cheese. And so the British went around calling them John Cheese. And this infuriated the Dutch so much so that they started calling the British John Cheese in Dutch, Yankees, you know, Yankees. And that was Hey, man. Any kind of negative connotation to the Yankees, I'm for, actually. <laughs> so, And it's funny because, you know, my wife is Dutch, actually, and oh, I live in a very prideful Dutch community in Grand yeah. Rapids in Holland, Michigan. And there's a tagline around here, too. If you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. And so, so, like, it's a, that's a very prideful thing. And, no, and I'll no. tell you the one thing that I do really admire about the Dutch folks here is, you know, a lot of folks came across in a very hard time, in, in a very hard time in World War II and a lot of settlers, right, mm -hmm. of the recency, you know, of Dutch, right? And man, they, you know, they, they literally preserved a 1940s community because they were so prideful of that community, which I got a kick out of because as you and I travel with business and speaking, you, I've gone to Amsterdam and I was like, you know, by the way, that city's nothing like this anymore. <laughs> like, you know, you know, they have internet and you know mass transit and everything. It's pretty cool. Like you should see it. No one rides bikes or ice skates anymore. All right. So it's, it's like uh, it's like Cinco de Mayo. How nobody in Mexico celebrates Cinco de Mayo. It's an American Mexican American holiday. Where I had no idea that. Actually, yeah, there's a great scene in Born in East LA. Cheech Marin's like, oh, it's Cinco de Mayo, and all the Mexican immigrants are like, what's Cinco de Mayo? He's like, I don't know, but we have a parade. Of parade. <laughs> all right, let's get into a little bit of Winners Find a Way. You know, for our listeners, we talk a lot about, you know, start leaders coming in and working through, they've ever had a time they've been down and been challenged and, you know, all the best leaders and I know and the one percenters, they have absolutely been back against the wall at some point in their life and not only went through it, over it, under it, however they could get around it, but they learned from it, right? They really, they really took that away. So I love the quote, winners when shown data that they are losing, find a way to win. Let's talk a little bit about your experience, Dr. Danny. I mean, you know, you're a 14-year-old kid. You've lived in all these cultures. You're like, hey, I'm going to be on the speaker's circuit speaking to 100,000 people a year. People are going to – I can see myself on the stage now, mom, dad. This is, this is what I'm going to be, you know. Like, I'll have a doctorate in education. I'm going to be a well-educated man, well-spoken. I'm going to be an author. Did you see that for you at 14? Oh, goodness, no. No, who sees that? I – I'll share two stories with you, Trent, and with the listeners. 2005, and this is a good lesson for all entrepreneurs listening in right now. So 2005, my wife, I was a, a professor at the time, and my wife and I attended a real estate seminar, which turned out to be a complete scam, and it was run by a shyster. We lost everything, and I could focus on all the negatives, but I'm not that kind of person. I look at the positives. First of all, my wife is a saint. She's my mate for life. I put her through the ringer and she stuck by me, which was amazing. Second of all, I, I no longer make money the end all be all because I realize easy come, easy go. It can be that quickly. Third, I try not to judge other people anymore because, you know, if I was somebody that looked at what I did, I would have said, well, you deserve that. But now I realize if you don't know everything about a person, you don't really know anything about a person. Fourth, I became a Christian and I'm always embarrassed to say so, but the more I 
read my Bible, I realized I'm not the first screw up to find Jesus. And uh, fifth was I didn't want to file for bankruptcy, which I eventually had to do because we had real estate in North Cuba, which is my name for Florida because there's no law in that state. But I, I didn't want to file bankruptcy. And my accountant said, well, you're going to have to make this much more money this year. And so I started speaking on the side and I hit that number right on the number trend. Well, the next year he gave me a much higher number and I hit that number right on the number. And so in year three, I thought to myself, well, maybe I should set a higher number. And basically during one of the worst economic downturns in American history, I built up a speaking business, which has been so much better than if I had just stayed in education. So that's the first story to inspire all the entrepreneurs out there. I, I was actually just speaking recently, actually last week in Milwaukee to small business owners. And I said, you ever notice that the people that say, enjoy the journey have already succeeded? I mean, when you couldn't make rent, were you saying, gosh, I'm really enjoying this journey. I hate, I hate that advice, drives me nuts. But here's the other story I wanted to share. I was speaking in, well, I was in India back in, it was 2000. 18. And I was there visiting a bunch of schools. And I go into this one school and the principal opens up the door and there's 5,000 kids sitting there in an auditorium. There's like 20 TV stations. And the principal says, and now for the next hour, Dr. Brissell is going to share with us the three secrets to reading better. Holy cow, Trent, nobody told me I'm speaking. I have no such speech as that. Fortunately, English is a second language in India, and so I, I got to speak slower. So I looked at the kids and I said, hey, today I am going to teach you the three secrets to reading better. Who wants to learn the three secrets to reading better? The kids are going wild. And in my head, Trent, I'm thinking to myself, what the heck are the three secrets to reading better? And so basically... I went through the, the format that I train entrepreneurs how to use when they craft their presentations. I did that in my head and on the spot, I came up with a speech, which eventually I formed into a company, which is one of my most profitable, I have the world's top reading engagement program. And so both of those stories are meant to inspire the entrepreneurs out there. You, me, and everybody listening, we're different people. Uh, everybody else looks at the problems. We look at the opportunities. And, you know, yeah, we. that's why I love the movie Rocky. Everybody loves Rocky. Why do you everybody love Rocky? Everybody loves Rocky. Yeah, he gets knocked down. People forget he lost to Apollo Creed at the end of Rocky, but it's the best foreshadowing ever. Is the night before he plays, he, he's up against Apollo Creed. He's in bed with Adrian. He's like, Adrian, tomorrow I'm going to lose. But that doesn't matter to me. I just want to go the distance with the champ. And so even though he loses – the audience were like, no, he won because his goal was to go the distance. And I always tell entrepreneurs, I'm like, there's no such thing as failure. There's just setbacks. You know, you only fail if you give up, like keep on going. A lot of the most successful, you, you and I know these people. They just keep on figuring out. There's a great quote by Max Levchin. It's one of my favorite quotes. He's like, my first company totally bombed. My I, I'm paraphrasing. He said it differently. So he's like, my first company total bombed. My second one was a little bit better, but still bombed. He's like, number three was kind of all right. We started doing all right. It's like number four almost didn't bomb. It still wasn't exactly where it needed to be, but it was on the right track. Number five was PayPal. Like, if it only takes four failures before you find a billion dollar company, that's not so bad. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, I've heard that a couple of times with folks saying, hey, listen, it takes nine companies to create that $100 million company. So, hey, listen, be, be thrilled that you've already failed seven. You're getting close. <laughs>
I always yeah, love I, numbers like that, by the way, Trent. Who came up with that number? Where's the research? Yeah, right, right, right. I want to see the data. <laughs> well, it's interesting. You know, a couple of great things is like, you know, I think it's seeing opportunity. You know, one of the things that I think that most people, you know, as you describe that is sometimes, you know, opportunities always is kind of dressed up in work clothes, right? I mean, that's first that I think people really need to get is that, but you got forced into a, a radar that you maybe didn't know you had, but like, you're like, Hey man, I can't go into bankruptcy. So, Hey, I've heard about these radar things that go up and you find out like what I'm looking for, <laughs> start keeping an eye on and asking questions and Hey, why are you interested in that? Why do you want to know more about that? And can I give you that information? Like, wait a minute, you know, I could do that. And so, but you know, I think, the challenge I hear a lot is that, you know, people aren't even seeing opportunities right in front of them. Yeah. That's a real challenge for me. I would think the other thing that's interesting is, as you say, you know, and, and, and this really kind of hit me when I hear, I hear a lot of people are like, oh yeah, the journey, man, enjoy the ride. Like, yeah. And I do a lot in mentorship. Right. Mm -hmm. And I have this, you know, in, in the entrepreneur organization, we have this picture in the deck where it shows a racing car driver and then the guy's standing outside the car and he's kind of giving the driver some instruction, you know? And I'm like, hey, who do you think the mentor is in this? You know, like, because the mentor likes to tell the old mentee in the driver's seat, like, you know, hey, listen, I don't want to go to the hairpin turn at 180. Like, you should. And let me tell you how to do it because I've been there. I just don't want to get back in the car and hit the wall again, you know? Right. But in the same breath, man, I have talked to a lot of successful athletes, entrepreneurs. You know, when you're a successful athlete, it's pretty tough to get, you know, 50,000 of your closest friends to come down at the park and while you walk your dog, cheer for you, right? I mean, you're not going to get yourself in this environment again very often. So, you know, they miss the battle. I mean, yeah, it hurt and yeah, it was tough, but man, you knew you were alive. You were working for the greater goal. I mean, I think that's what they miss is like, you know, I've kind of got some sex success, but I'm kind of bored. Do you, do, I mean, what do you, what do your folks tell you that? Cause I know it's great hindsight information. Enjoy the journey. Cause I wish I was kind of still on it, you know, but what do you see in that? Well, I, I, I agree. I, that's what I love about you with your baseball background. I mean, sports are wonderful at, at teaching you, you know, mentorship for one. I mean, the veterans, the, the teams that are successful, it's the veterans are taking aside the young guys and saying, Hey, you know what you met? I mean, that's one of the best stories ever i know you're going to be offended because it's a new york yankee story and i'm not a yankee <laughs> fan either i'm a dodger fan but my my 11th grade english teacher miss mclean she was a huge yankees fan and she always liked to remind us that in his final season as a yankee joe dimaggio was playing in a meaningless game the yankees already clinched the pennant they're up a run dimaggio hits a single tries to stretch it into a double slides head first into second base almost kills himself and a rookie at the end of the innings like Joe, what were you thinking? And DiMaggio looked at the rookie and said, I was thinking that some kid, this might be his first time at Yankee Stadium. I want him to know what kind of player I am. And Miss McLean, it was one of the best lessons anybody ever taught me. She said, Daniel, someday you're going to meet your creator. And let me tell you, it ain't going to be a very good day. So you need to make your worst day your best day by never giving anything less than your best effort. And that's that's such great advice for any entrepreneur you know, and I, it actually goes back even to that Pete Carroll story. He may have been having a bad day, but that lesson taught me you're not allowed a bad day because his bad day became my story that I now tell people all the time.
Yeah. And so let's, let's talk about that 24 seven leadership, because this is definitely a different, a little different day, you know, now mm-hmm. where, you know, when I was a kid, I think that even my dad who owned a small business and was also a college professor, you go home. Right. And, and who knows what happened at home, right? You could be a great person, great dad of the year. You could also be a drunk, abusive person, but you know, it's kind of behind closed doors. And nowadays, like, Hey, if you're a leader, that's you're on. I mean, people see you social media. They know who you are. They know when you're in a, when you're in that line and that checkout, you want to get all up in somebody's face about how the pricing's not right. You're not doing your job and act like a jerk at 1130 at night at the 7-Eleven. Like people see that and they go, oh, let me record that real quick and see this guy. What a a jerk this guy is. Oh, he's the CEO of what? Right. And so it's a different environment now. Walk me through a little bit about like, hey, as we're learning, what have, what have you taught your leaders about that? Well, John Wooden, the coach for UCLA basketball, won 10 national championships. He has the best lesson on that. He said, you know, reputation is how others see you, character is who you really are. And so, uh, you know, you need to act like who you want to become. And people will reveal their true colors to you all the time. I mean, we both gave those examples with Ernie Hardwell and and Vince Scully. Prince, I I read a great story about Prince required that all of his singers and dancers had to always make sure they were dressed up whenever they were in public. And uh, because he's like, you're a projection of me. Well, good leader, you know, to me, the best leaders, you don't have to be doing everything 24 seven, but you have to have a vision and you have to convey that vision all the time. One of my favorite CEOs, I wish I had met him was Herb Kelleher with Southwest Airlines. And the guy had fun. You know, I, I see yeah. a lot of these leaders and you, you see it in sports too. How many of your teammates actually looked like they were having fun? I always like the guys that, you know, in baseball, I watch like uh, my favorite baseball players, Mookie Betts for the Dodgers. The guy's just a wonderful leader. He's a class act. He's, he's a, He's just a great player, and he looks like he's having fun. You look at Chipper Jones from the old Atlanta Braves. The guy always looked like he was enjoying the game. These guys look so angry all the time. When you look at football, Brett Favre, the quarterback, he always looked like he – I mean, he gets sacked, and he's sitting there joking around with the guy that sacked him. I'm like, wow, there's a guy that's enjoying the game. You know, they're not taking it too seriously, and that's what I love. I learned this as a teacher. I take my job seriously. I don't take myself too seriously because I ain't all that and neither are you. And if you think you're all that, teach kindergarten for one week. Those little ones will set you straight. And I once had a little girl, LaShonda, raises her hand. I'm like, LaShonda, question. And she's like, Mr. Sal, when are you going to trim your nose hairs? I'm like, this afternoon. Thanks for bringing that to my attention, LaShonda. <laughs> I, I ain't all that. And so I, Herb Kelleher, I, I looked at, there was a great story of one of his executives made a $10 million error. He he. He took a risk on something and it cost the company $10 million. And so what did Herb Kelleher do to discipline him? He promoted him because he wanted to send, he, he sent a message to the entire company. I am not going to penalize you for taking risk in this company. Yeah. I, you know, who was it? It was Harry Truman who said, imperfect action is better than perfect inaction. You know, yeah. there's so many people just waiting to do things. I want to surround myself. The best leaders I ever observe, they don't necessarily know every microscopic detail. They're usually actually telescopic people. They have the vision and they surround themselves with all those people that can do the job. I mean, you're in Michigan, Detroit, Henry Ford. That was the famous trial where they asked him, like, what was the capital of Michigan? And he's like, I have no idea. 
and they were trying to prove that he was insane. He's like, I don't need to know that information. I can press a button and I got five people that can tell me that information. My job is to come up with the vision. And I'm like, wow, what a powerful answer. He's absolutely right about that. Figure out what you want to get done and then surround yourself with people that you can trust and then let them do it. The best Sparking Anderson was a fantastic manager because he made sure I got the best players in the world. You know, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I know you know what to do. You don't need that huge pep talk because you know what to do. Tommy Lasorda, my favorite manager manager of all time, all of his stories were he he got those guys laughing all the time. They were just he's like, I know any every other word was an F-bomb with Tommy, but it was <laughs> he knew how to lead men. And that's what uh, there's a great story in the in the David Marinus biography when pride still mattered about Vince Lombardi. I love it because Paul Horning was the best running back, most important player for the Packers. But he was in the war in Korea, and uh, the Packers had a huge game coming up against the 49ers in San Francisco. Well, Lombardi, he used to coach at Army, so he actually knew General MacArthur. And so he called General MacArthur and said, I need Horning for this football game. And so he got a 48-hour pass for Paul Horning. And Paul Horning, before the game, he has to give the pep talk to his teammates. He's like, guys, I came here for two reasons. One of them I took care of last night. Now let's go beat the 49ers. I'm like, that's fantastic. How do you not love the? Those are the leaders I, lo- I want to be around. They enjoy themselves. They're having fun with the process. And they're also, by the way, they're underestimated all the time. Just because a person's smiling doesn't mean they're not brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I, I coached a couple players, you know, we'd call them like red asses, right? Because they were just very serious. But, you know, it was hard for me as a coach, you know, knowing different personalities. Like, I never wanted to take that away from them because yeah. they sure? had a bunch of success, man. Like, and if all of a sudden they were going to get loose and not be the tight, they, they, they knew how to be this. And when people try to loosen them up and they didn't have success, like, they're going to go like, whoa. I can't ever do that. I can't, I got to have a three handed grip on the wheel. I'm not going to do it, but like, good luck with that. You know, like, and so it's, it's always a challenge to see how people find success. And, but I I think, you know, especially when you're playing this game and in the game of business, like, I think we're all taking it pretty serious, except like, is it really that serious? Like it's fun and there's a way. So I want to talk a little bit about this because right. you know you talk about employee engagement, like reading and leadership, reading and success. I want to I want to think a little bit more about like how are we missing the engagement with our team members? I mean, I feel like there's a lot of leaders out there just goes right by. Yeah. Well, I mean, the pandemic was a great lesson for a lot of leaders. Trent is maybe you don't have to be at the office 24 seven. Maybe by empowering our people to be able to work remotely so that they have time to go to their kids little league games maybe that builds up a loyalty which you don't see that kind of loyalty with many companies anymore there's a reason that google is one of, is always rated one of the best places to work it's because they work those people like you wouldn't believe 100 100 hour weeks but it's free food they have the chefs there they've got the nap modules they let you play volleyball and they have they they do all these things for their people because they're trying to say hey we respect you and we understand you have families we're not penalizing you for a family you know i love the story i mean again i'm a proud trojan i love that allison felix one of the best usc trojans and one of the most decorated runners in american history she won 11 medals but when she got pregnant 
Nike dropped her from their shoe. And so what did she do? She started her own shoe company, which is in direct competition with Nike and doing fantastic now. And I'm like, I love that. That's wonderful. That's an entrepreneur. Yeah. And you know what? I'm not going to let you get me down. The role of the leader, I, you said something, which I just thought, man, that's fantastic, Trent, is when you were coaching, how you identified, well, this guy's intense, but I don't want to take that away from him. I'm like, wow, that's a good leader. That's absolutely a great leader. Phil Jackson, the reason he's the most successful NBA basketball coach of all time in terms of championships is because he made his 12th man feel just as important as Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant. You look at Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant, you couldn't get two more different human beings on a basketball team. Kobe Bryant wants to work out 24-7, and Shaquille's all about you know being a big teddy bear and laughing all the time. Yeah. And Jackson was a good leader because he didn't want to take that away from either of them. He figured out, okay, here's how you guys work together for the common goal. That's what good leaders do. Okay, here are my strengths. I'm sorry, I'm giving, I got all excited coming on today because I'm like, okay, I can actually finally give some sports analogies. And stuff. <laughs> right. The movie Hoosiers is the same thing. Is yeah. The coach, Gene Hackman, Norman Dale, he, at his first practice, he's like, I want to see what I've got. What do I've got? And I once had a coach and I had one most improved player. And at the banquet, he said, some players you can yell at, some players you got to talk to. Danny, you got to talk to. And that made me laugh because some guys you can yell at, but then some guy, I mean, he did this to me at a game. He pointed at, hit me with his finger on the chest. And I, I fouled out within two minutes because I just ran down every single person. I was so angry. And then he adapted. His, he's like, okay, that doesn't work with this guy. I mean, you know, some people on your team, they always want the pat on the back. Some people, they never want any kind of public recognition. Some people, you know, you need to kind of pump them up. And some people, they don't need that at all. And I loved, I really appreciate that you said that, Trent. The good leader identifies, well, what's the hand I've been dealt? True leader, anybody can change the cards. You know, the best leaders, they take the hand they're dealt and turn them into champion or winning hand. Let's talk about the reading. The knowledge. I mean, how do you get people to read more? Well, you do it based on their interests. So look at you and me. Neither of us have had any interest in reading whatsoever. But when, I mean, the happiest day of my life was when I got my PhD. And my wife's like, why are you so happy? I'm like, because from now on, I can pick what I want to read. And that's what reading should be. I mean, you weren't a reader, but I guarantee you, you're reading everything that entrepreneurs are writing. You're reading biographies of success people. You're reading leadership books and stuff. You know, very few people have a job in today's market where your boss is like, hey, Clark, Clark, I need you to read Pride and Prejudice by tomorrow. But that's what we're told to do in public school. I mean, when I was in high school, I was forced to read The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne. And I'm not going to put it down. I know there's people that love that book. And basically, the story is about Hester Prynne commits adultery. So she's forced to wear an A on her chest. And I raised my hand and I asked my teacher if I could wear a B on my chest because I was so bored reading that book. Well, why am I being forced to read that? Why is that any worse than reading Sports Illustrated, where some of the best writers in history actually wrote for Sports Illustrated? Yeah. And I'm actually an avid fan of that. You know, I'll read anything Russell Brunson writes because I'm like, oh, these are all kinds of great entrepreneurial secrets. I'm into any kind of behavioral psychology, behavioral economics. So I'll read Daniel Pink and Jonah Berger, Chip and Dan Heath. I mean, I'm, I'm just I mean, this is food for me. Um, so and that's what leaders do. I always call it intentional reading. So I'm working with a, a marketing guy right now on his presentation. And so we created a, a diet of intentional reading. I'm like, well, we need to read 
marketing books so you'll have anecdotes for your presentation. And I'll read a book now, Trent, where the book might stink, but if there's one anecdote that's good, it was worth my time. And so the book I showed him, the book was horrible. I hated the book, but there was one anecdote. It was about this marketer. He was going around the world trying to figure out the next million dollar idea. He's stuck in Chile and he's watching these fishermen fish and he notices that the fish they're catching, there's a different fish that they have to throw out, but he noticed that that's the fish that they would eat. And so he asked the fisherman, he's like, oh, are you eating that fish because they only pay you for this fish? And the guy's like, no, this fish is actually a lot tastier. He's like, oh, can I try it? And they're like, sure. So he starts eating it. And he's like, oh my gosh, this fish is so much better than the fish that you're catching. He's like, what's it called? And they're like, the toothfish. He's like, the toothfish? That is the worst name I have ever heard. And so he brought the toothfish to the United States, but he changed the name to Chilean sea bass. That's a great story. Give me a story like that all day long. So (laughs) that's how you get people... You know, it's also interesting too, especially a lot of leaders freak out. And I'm like, yeah, but a lot of the best leaders, they're not actually reading about leadership. I mean, if you presidents of the United States often to to get their to calm down their nerves, they read something light. So a lot of people forget this, that President Kennedy was once asked, well, what are you reading? And he says, well, to calm myself down, I'm reading this great series of books by this guy named Ian Fleming about this secret agent called James Bond. Because of that answer, MGM bought the rights to the James Bond series. And that's why we have the James Bond movies. That's pretty awesome. So I'm always interested, you know, Warren Buffett. I always love Warren Buffett's just spending all day reading. He is one of my favorite quotes of any leader. People always think he's a man of integrity. And he always replies, well, we'll never know. And people are like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I was never 19 starving to death with a wife to to feed. I'm like, wow, that's a very mature answer. It's like, it's kind of like, you always hope that you're the person when the plane crashes in the river, you jump in to save people. And everybody says they will, but I'm like, well, will you? You don't know until it actually happens. So I like my reading diet. I mean, I'm an eclectic reader. I read all kinds of things. And here's the tip I want to give leaders. We were, you and I were talking earlier and you're like, oh, all these executives that read 50 books a year, how do you do that? And you gave a great answer. You, you listen to audible books and book summaries and things like that. That's wonderful. Here's another tip I'll give people. Uh, I had read The Rise of Theodore Roosevelt by Edmund Morris, which is part of a trilogy about Teddy Roosevelt. It's a fantastic book. And in that book, it said by the time he was 30 years old, Teddy Roosevelt had read over 20,000 books. And so I'd say that to my kindergartners like, whoa. And I'm like, okay, so we're going to read 10 books a day, kids. I mean, I read 10 books a day now. Many of them are scratch and snip and pop up, but I do read 10 books a day. Here's the tip for leaders is before I'm going to parties and business functions, I often go to the library or to Barnes and Noble. I'll go to the children's section. There's all kinds of picture books written about successful people. And instead of reading a 900 page biography, I'll read a 32 page picture book about Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos. And at that party, I can sound very intelligent and say, oh, oh, it's, it's like this person. Did, and people are like, wow, he, he's so well read. I'm reading picture books all the time. So there's the there's the strategy for everybody out there. If you don't have time to read, go to the children's section. There's all kinds of great books out there. Wow. I've never heard that suggestion, by the way. And I am an avid Blinkist fan uh-huh. uh, and, and the entrepreneur organization. They support us in that by getting us an account through our membership, which is a great partnership because man, the time is the time and I want those nuggets, right? And I also, you know, I love the fact that John Wooden's got great stories and President Lincoln's story and what, you know, Ford had to say. And, but 
I can apply those principles to my own stories, right? And my own experiences, which I think have more landing sometimes when I'm telling them, right? And so getting that nugget is critical to me. I can remember reading this one of the Covey stories. Like, I, I don't really care about the interaction with the pilot. What I really want to do is get to the whole point of the story and the moral of the story, the character, the ethic, the, the takeaway. And I can apply that in my life to an event. And I've been able to do that. And it's really helped me. But let's talk about, you know, reading and success. Why, why are some of the most successful people so well-read? Yeah, that's a great question. That's the million-dollar question, Trent. I mean, there's plenty of readers that don't necessarily become effective leaders, but I've never read about an effective leader in any field who was not also an avid reader. You see it in politics. You see it, I mean, so the best politicians are very well-read people. Teddy Roosevelt reading three books a day. In business, Elon Musk, even today running $4 billion companies, reads at least one book a day. He was fast. I just read a biography of him by Ashley Vance. And there were two stories in that book that were fascinating. One was that he was dating a new woman. And so he's at a Mexican restaurant with his biographer. And he says, I'm considering allocating eight and a quarter hours per week to her. Is that sufficient? I'm like, who talks like that? That's like Spock. And then the other story that was interesting was he was always asking questions on the floor to all of his SpaceX engineers. And they were getting kind of annoyed. They're like, hey, I already got this job. Why am I interviewing out all the time? But then they started talking to one another and they're like, wait a second, his questions are getting more and more complex. We think that he's learning based on our answers, and we think he actually understands it better than we do now. I'm like, wow, that's how he's taking information. You look at, I could have kissed LeBron James when he was in his first NBA finals with the Miami Heat. They showed him in the locker room, and he was reading The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins. I'm like, dude, you just did more literacy with that picture than I'll do my entire life. That was fascinating. I mean, Bill Belichick, the coach for the New England Patriots, donated his football library, which was the most considerable collection of, of football-related books, uh, to his alma mater. In the military, you got like Storm and Norman Schwarzkopf, who I loved, they say he could read in four different languages and quote Shakespeare voraciously. You know, one of my favorite books, on, you, you talk about Lincoln, I'll, I can read all day about Lincoln. I mean, Doris Kearns Goodwin, her book, a Team of Rivals, oh, just phenomenal. Yeah, phenomenal. So with- yeah, that was one of the best reads I ever did. I, I was totally intimidated by that read, right? Because it's oh. like, 800 pages. Oh, right? Right? Book. Yeah. Oh I mean, that's about, yeah. that's about 750 more than I usually read. Yeah. So, yeah. but that's what Lincoln was so good at was he was always able, even when he was a country lawyer, they said that people would come from 20 miles away to the pub just to listen to him tell stories by the fire. And during the, the darkest moments of the Civil War, and so they, they show one in the movie Lincoln, and they should have showed a lot more, but uh, during tense moments, He'd have his cabinet, and to lighten the mood, he'd tell a story. And in the movie, the Secretary of War, Edwin Stanton, he's like, don't tell us another one of his stories. And he said, well, but he tells the story anyway. He's like, well, one of the founding fathers, Ethan Allen, when he was in, in Britain trying to get a treaty signed, the British soldiers, they thought they would have some fun with him. And so they put up a a painting of General Washington in the latrine. And so they were playing cards all night and feeding him lots of liquor and and food and wait for him to have to do his business. And eventually he had to do his business. He went to the latrine and he came back and the British soldiers were laughing. They're like, oh, did you see the the painting of of General Washington in the latrine? He said, why, yes. And they were taken aback. They're like, that didn't offend you? He said, no, every American knows the sight of George Washington scares the crap out of the British. 
how do you not fall in love with a leader like that? Yeah. I mean, that's, that book was filled with just gems. Everybody should read that book. <laughs> yeah, I think it's so cool. Like, and I think there's also something to be said for when I finished the Team of Rivals. Like, I felt accomplished, right? Because I mean, this is the only book that probably rivaled the Bible in size, right? That I'd mm-hmm. ever seen. You yeah. know, I never read War and Peace. I haven't read that. And man, that was one of those like it's a little intimidating. Man, when you take something off the shelf and you need two hands to check it out, like yeah. that's no joke. Right. And so two hander. I like that. Two hander. It's a two hander, man. And and I think that it's really cool that, you know, you and I share this love of libraries. I was just in Boston, Massachusetts and working and doing an event, a retreat with a, with a company that I was working with. And man, we drove to this great little place and just to see this library that's, you know, the, the place is probably, you know, the building's probably 150 years old, right? And it's just like, man, that is just. I just wanted to go in and spend a half a day, you know, like I can sit there and be like, this is just cool. You know, I was a member of the Union League Club when I lived in Chicago. Mm. And so I love reading the old stories of, uh, you know, the devil in the white city and, and these stories talking about, you know, in 1890, we all met at the Union League to discuss the fair. <laughs> You're like, wait, yeah. what? Like, like, you mean the place I was just at for dinner? Like just, the history behind it really, really says something. And man, we've created, we've created this great space for, for reading and knowledge. And, you know, and I, I, you know, and I'm also a huge fan of Goodwill hunting minus the language maybe, but good story, right. The overcomer story of all time. And I'd love that story, you know, Hey, listen, it'll cost me, you know, $12 in fines at the public library for a Harvard education. Right. Sure. Like, it's all there. I can go get it anytime I want. Like it's all available to me. And I I hear kids that feel like, oh, I'm limited. I'm not going to get educated. Like that's crazy. Yeah. You already talked about it. Mentorship. I don't ever need to know Norman Vincent Peale, but he's a mentor to me because I've read his book. You know, I didn't know Jesus, but he's a mentor to me because I read the book. No, he was a main character in in the best-selling book of all time. I mean, there's so many great, I mean, I've actually never been to a Tony Robbins seminar and people are like, why not? I'm like, I, I'm pretty sure I know what the seminar is about because I've read his books. You yeah. know, most people don't read the book. I mean, yeah. Jack Canfield, his book, The Success Principles, after I read that book, I told my coach, because that's the other thing you and I believe in is I believe you need good coaches to, to guide you along the way. And so even though you and I are coaches to others, we also employ coaches, invest in them for us. And so I had a coach and, you know, he called me once I was at the airport and he's like, well, what's what's new in your world? I'm like, oh, I just read the success principles by Jack Canfield. I mean, he just put a twenty five thousand dollar coaching program in a twenty dollar book. I mean, the stories are amazing. The research is incredible. The points are fantastic. I'm like, I would have paid twenty dollars just for his bibliography. And my coach is like, oh, well, and I, I basically told him, I'm like, I've made it my mission this year. I'm going to meet Jack because I'm so impressed by him. He says, well, come to my event in April because he's going to be there. Well, I actually had a speaking event in New York at the time. And I actually, it's the only time I've ever done this. I actually canceled that event for me just so I could meet Jack. And he was he was gracious. He was so great. I mean, he probably doesn't know me from anything, but it didn't matter because I was like, wow, I read your book. I know exactly what your mindset is. I know where you're going with it. Again, you don't have to, all these people investing all this. I'm like, go to the library. A lot of the library is free. That's exactly it. I mean, that is so true, man. I don't think that people always gas that. Let's, let's wrap with this. All right. Let's wrap with, you know, people are out there. Things are getting tight. Things are getting tight. 
I mean, we've been through a pandemic. We've been through a lot of different things over these last times. If you're talking to someone right now, they're they're in that they're in the middle of that rut. They're they're not doing well, down but not out. What would be your best advice to someone who's seen that data and they are not winning? Yeah, I was blessed. I well, I've been blessed throughout my life with a lot of wonderful mentors. Trent, one of them was Charlie Tremendous Jones, and Charlie said. You're the same today as you will be in five years, except for two things, the people you meet and the books you read. So I always encourage people, surround yourself with people that are going to lift you up and make sure you feed your mind with lots of wonderful knowledge. One of the best speakers I've ever seen, Keith Harrell, who unfortunately is no longer with us, he says that a lot of people say garbage in, garbage out. That's wrong. Garbage in, garbage stays. Somebody tells you enough negative stuff, you start to believe it. But it also, the opposite is true. You hear enough good things, you listen to this podcast enough and hear about people that are encouraging you all the time, that can stick in. And so that's what I tell people is stay the course. Don't ever give up. There's no such thing as failure until you give up. So stay the course. And I just really want to thank you for inviting me today, Trenton, as a, as a thank you to you and your audience. I want to give a couple of freebies. So if you go to freegiftfromdanny.com, again, freegiftfromdanny.com, I'm going to give everybody a complimentary e-copy of my book, Read, Lead, and Succeed. This is a book I wrote for a school principal who was trying to keep his faculty and staff positively engaged. So I said, okay, I'll write you a book. So every week I give you a concept, an inspirational quote, an inspirational story, a book recommendation on a book you should read, but you're probably too lazy because you're an adult. So I also give you a children's picture book recommendation, demonstrates the same concept. You can read that in five minutes. And I'm also going to give everybody access to a five-day reading challenge I did online last summer for about 700 parents worldwide, where every day for a week, for an hour, I'm going to give you all kinds of strategies to get your your kids excited about reading, because the more excited you are to read. Free gift, Danny? Free gift from Danny.com. From Danny.com. Right now. And that's, again, just a thank you. I mean, the reason I do that is... I think you and I had the same experience in school. I think schools do an adequate job of teaching kids how to read. But the question I always ask people is, what goes to teaching a kid how to read if they never want to read? I teach kids why to read because I've never had to tell a kid, go watch TV. I've never had to tell a kid, go play a video game. And I never want to have to tell a kid, go read. I want them to choose to do it because they love it. So just go to freegiftfromdanny.com. Those books and materials are applicable for all age levels. For everybody. Dr. Danny Purcell. Danny, I'm going to end with knowledge has to be improved, challenged, and increased constantly or it vanishes. I love that. Peter Drucker. My man, Peter Drucker, like, hey, listen, don't get stagnant. You know, like he's telling you, surround yourself with people that are going to lift you up, that are going to encourage you, that have done what you are trying to do and they face some adversity before who will be your biggest cheerleader and read, read and read some more. There are plenty of things out there that are out there to tell you, hey, these are these are maps that you can just follow, read and execute. So for everybody else, thank you for joining us on the Winners Find a Way show. Thrilled that you could be here today, Dr. Danny Purcell, not only here in the flesh, but also giving free gifts. Check it out, freegiftfromdanny.com. So thankful for everyone being here. Until next time, Winners Find a Way show every Friday, 12.30 p.m. Eastern, 9.30 a.m. Pacific. Join us. Rebellious Infusions are organic flavored water enhancers. Rebellious provides clean, focused energy in liquid packets. Just tear the corner of the packet and pour 16 ounces of water. Rebellious Infusions have no sugar, no calories, and up to 300 milligrams of antioxidants and loads of L-thionine for brain health. Rethink your drink at drinkrebellious.com. For 10% off of your next purchase, use the code 999999. 
Do you want to be our next guest? Or do you have inspiring stories to share? Or do you love to inspire, support, and empower thought leaders? Feel free to send Trent a direct message on Instagram or Facebook at Leadershipity.